the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host, former dirt sheet writer from Sports Kita, the Daily DDT, uh, Ringside News. I am Lee Walker, and I am joined by Perched Gamings and also our awesome YouTube editor and video editor, the adorable one, Alex Todd. And I am also joined by vlogger and Perched Correspondent, that's right, vloggeryoutube.com in Justin We Trust. The perch correspondent, Justin Largerto. How you doing today, guys? I'm doing well. Doing well. Big night, uh, big weekend in wrestling. Oh, oh my God. Well, if you didn't listen to the last episode, ladies and gentlemen, which uh, we had the predictions and review of WWE Clash at the Castle and WWE NXT's uh, Worlds Collide, ladies and gentlemen, uh, It's Sunday. You know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's AEW. Exactly. It's AEW's All Out. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the preview and prediction show. Alex, the adorable one, has our card. So Alex, take it away. Yes, sir. Uh, We're going to start out here with the pre-show. You were just talking about Justin being a vlogger just a minute ago. One of these matches on the pre-show match originally had this man facing AEW's resident vlogger. Originally, the match that was supposed to be Eddie Kingston versus Sammy Guevara has been canceled. Uh, There was some sort of beef between Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara. We, We talked about it last week. Uh, you know, whatever happened, happened. They've supposedly made it water under the bridge. But now, at this point, it kind of looks like Sammy Guevara is taking the punishment on the whole entire thing. Because Sammy Guevara is no longer on the all-out card. Eddie Kingston still is, but he has been moved to the pre-show to a match with Tamahiro Ishii. You know, I I thought the build was there for Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara. But now, even though their match is canceled we still get a possible hidden gem in Kingston versus Ishii. I've never seen a bad match with Ishii, and it's it's yet to happen. He is a New Japan legend, living legend at this point, and I think this one's going to be no different. However, I have noticed Tony Khan usually isn't one to have his guys lose to New Japan people, similarly to Eric Bischoff when he had his WCW roster face New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I'm going to go straight out on a limb. I'm going to get right into this. Eddie Kingston versus Tamahiro Ishii. Eddie Kingston walks away with the W. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston gets the win here. And, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see if they go back to the Eddie Kingston, Sammy Guevara storyline. Because they do have Sammy and Ty feuding with uh, Ruby and Ortiz pretty much exclusively on Rampage. And, you know, they're still associated with Eddie Kingston. So I'm curious to see if coming out of this, we go back to the Eddie Kingston-Guevara feud and maybe get a match out of that possibly at full gear. Yeah, you know, anytime New Japan is really involved in something, we generally don't see a lot of those stars pick up the W here on American television, uh, per se. So... 
knowing that they're doing this, yeah, Kingston gets the win. I think they go back to the story at some point, but don't throw stones in glass houses, folks. That's all I can say. Yeah, I, I got to agree. Communication is the biggest part, I feel like, of being a professional wrestler. You've heard guys in interviews that you've done yourself say before, and I think that match being canceled came down to a lack of communication on the wrestlers parts, but I think we're still going to get treated to a hell of a match between Ishii and Kingston. Speaking of hell of a match, um, you know, it seems as though that is kind of the theme for the pre-show for all out, because we also have Pac defending the AEW all Atlantic championship against Kip Sabian. Now Kip Sabian's return has been something we've kind of noticed has been slowly burning for a while ever since he started showing up in the AEW crowds with that box or bag over his head. Uh, we all knew it was him. Some of us, like the three of us knew it was him a lot longer before even the AEW casual fans knew about it. And we knew it was going to lead eventually to something. And, you know, I, I didn't expect it to be good. I, I thought it was just going to be just like a random, I don't know, like, Kip Sabian coming back, but then getting the hell, absolute hell beaten out of him as soon as he showed up after what happened with him and Miro last time. But he put the beat down on Pac recently when he made his return, and these two have the potential to have a hell of a match. I don't really know who wins this one. Um, I feel like Pac is too early in his championship reign to lose, but AEW's never shied away from occasionally pulling out a swerve here and there. So I think that if you want Kip Sabian to be taken seriously, you could also have him win. So I think I'm just going to, I'm going to guess on this one and I, I'm going to say that Pac retains the title. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I going think, with the bastard here. I think the thing with the mid, the, this mid Atlantic championship was the fact that it, it's like what the WWF light heavyweight championship was when it was created in 1984 with the, uh, uh, the UWF there, it, it wasn't meant to be defended in the WWF itself. Uh, this AEW championship was not meant to be defended really in AEW. If you've noticed all of Pac's uh, defenses have been in other countries and just aired on AEW television programming. So I think Pac wins the match for that reason, because I don't really know of Kip Saban really going to a lot of other countries all the time, you know, to wrestle the way that the way that Pac has and the way that Pac does, especially now that he's won that championship. So I'm Pac all day. I mean, I, I I get it, yes and no, but I mean, the thing is, though, is Kip Sabian's also not from the United States either. He's from England, so it's entirely possible that he could travel around just like Pac. But um, I get what you're saying about the whole not defending the title like on American soil. Tony Khan even said right after that championship was was introduced that that's going to be their version of the traveling championship. So. I do like that it's two non-Americans fighting for the title because it then no matter who wins, I feel like we'll still get a traveling champion. But, well, the, this championship is still very young in its inception, so we'll see where it goes from there. And to finish out the pre-show, we have 
the FTW Championship on the line. We have Hook taking on the Jericho Appreciation Society's Angelo Parker. I think this one is pretty easy to predict. Uh, Hook has yet to lose one-on-one, and I don't see that really ending here, especially to Angelo Parker, of all people. So I've got Taz's son retaining his father's championship. Hookhausen all the way. Hell yeah. Cool hand Ange takes the title. No, I'm kidding. It's going to be Hook. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's going to be Hook because he's going to get that extra power boost from Dan Housen after Angelo gets cursed. Oh, oh shut your mouth. Screw Very nice. Very, Very evil. evil. All right. Well, that was easy. The pre-show is done and over, boys. We're moving on to the main card, and we are going to start off with... I would say what could be the match of the night, but literally an AEW show, any match is capable of being match of the night. But we're going to go with a WWE fan's wet dream. We've got the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, taking on Le Champion, Chris Jericho. This is going to be good. Yeah, there's that huge thing with... The, you know, with Jericho and the sports entertainment versus, you know, the, the professional wrestling. You know, we had just seen Brian Danielson beat Daniel Garcia. And the fact that uh, Garcia wanted to hang around after the match and Y2J, I'm going to call him Y2J, folks, comes down, beats up on Danielson, and, and Garcia's like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to get both aspects of, of what wrestling is today. You're 100% getting the professional wrestling, and you're 100% going to get sports entertainment in this match. I say Brian Danielson wins... And I say Daniel Garcia leaves the Jericho Appreciation Society. So I'm going in the exact opposite direction. They have been booking this inner conflict with Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia for too long. And I think the Jericho Appreciation Society is a group that is still too early in its inception to be having problems like this. And with Chris Jericho being the mastermind that he is, I, I've got to have a feeling that this was all a setup. I think that Daniel Garcia is actually going to cost Brian Danielson the match, and I've got Chris Jericho picking up the win here. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same direction. I think Chris Jericho wins this year. Um, you know, I think eventually Daniel Garcia splits from the Jericho Appreciation Society, which I think is a good thing because. I don't know how you guys feel. I think there are way too many fucking people in the Jericho Appreciation Society already. You know, what is there, like six or seven people in it right now? And, you know, I think uh, there's also another point to mention that kind of ties into this match. They did announce next week on Dynamite from Buffalo, New York, which is Daniel Garcia's hometown, uh, that he would be facing Wheeler Yuta for the pure champion from Ring of Honor, which, you know expect Daniel Garcia to win the pure championship on dynamite next week. But uh, I do see them dragging the story out for a little bit, whether Daniel Garcia 
joins the Blackpool Combat Club or if he just kind of breaks off onto his own away from Jericho. You know, I see it going one of those directions, but I think Jericho wins and it prolongs the story here. Well, and if you have him turn on Brian Danielson too and eventually win the Pure Championship, you've got like, you could do like a best of seven series between Garcia and Danielson for that title, especially with Danielson's uh, ties to Ring of Honor and the fact that he just went into the Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. I, I do, I think that 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 one's a no-brainer. I think we see him split eventually, but I don't think now is the time. And plus, Chris Jericho really hasn't had like a super big, big, big victory in a while, basically since he beat MJF. So I, I think he's due. And I think that Brian Danielson, obviously, you can have him become the top guy at any point. So he's another guy like Seth Rollins is in WWE. He can take loss after loss, and it does nothing to him. So I've got to go with Chris Jericho on this one. Our next match is a fatal four-way match for the interim AEW Women's World Championship. Thunder Rosa recently got injured, had to vacate the championship, but she's not really vacating it because they're having a match for an interim championship. So I don't know why they use that term. Regardless, we have Tony Storm, Lee's long-lost lover, taking on Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, Jamie Hayter, and Hikaru Shida for the interim AEW Women's World Championship. Justin, who do you got? So I'm just going to eliminate Jamie Hayter and Hikaru Shida right off the bat. I think, you know, you could put the title back on Britt Baker, even though I feel like, you know, she really just kind of had it not even four or five months ago. So I think the original plan was, well, obviously, because they announced Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm going into the show that this was going to be Thunder Rosa dropping the title of Tony Storm. And I think they're still going to go with that. I'm picking Tony Storm here. They could always go back to Britt Baker, you know, if they want to create a little bit of buzz in the women's division. But, you know, Tony Storm, I, I feel, is the safe pick for this. Lee, you're a huge Tony Storm fan. What do you think? You know, she was the number one contender already and it was already a planned match between thunder and storm and now the fact that you know they're adding other factors into this match including tony storm you know still being the number one contender i i think storm wins all day long I don't think it's Jamie Hayter's time yet, but I think what you will see in this match is you'll see Baker go for a pin and Hayter pulls her off. And you start to see a riff there. Because if you noticed throughout any time Britt Baker does a promo, Hayter tends to always kind of make faces. And it's something I've always paid attention to. So I think you're going to see heads collide there. Uh, She doesn't hear just because... because I got nothing else. Tony Storm to me is the obvious winner of the match. Britt Baker had her time. And I think right now she's kind of got what I, I like to refer to as the Seth Rollins mentality. When it comes to the women in, in AEW, she's the best on the mic. When it comes to the in-ring ability for the women in AEW, she's among the best with in-ring ability. So right now, she does not need the championship, and I don't think that's the direction they're going to go in. I think right now you're going to get Tony Storm as your interim champion. Uh, when Thunder Rosa comes back, you'll have Thunder 
Storm, and uh, based on who wins that match, will lead me to believe if any of the stories are true about Thunder Rosa and the rest of the women's locker room. But for now, Tony Storm becomes your interim AEW Women's World Champion. Okay, respectable. So I'm going to break down my opinion. Um, Hikaru Shida. I don't think she wins this match based on the fact that she's already the longest reigning AEW Women's World Champion in AEW's history. She doesn't need another title victory right now. Jamie Hayter, like you guys said, I don't think it's her time yet. I think she could end up being a huge force, but she's got to break out of being under Britt Baker's wing first before that can happen. Therefore, not her time yet either. I wanted to say it was Tony Storm because she was supposed to win going into this match. But I'm going to piss a lot of people off. I think Brick Baker wins again. And I think she becomes a two-time AEW women's champion. And I say that going back to something that I said probably about six months ago on this show. I said that AEW was going to find a way somehow for their St. Patrick's Day show this coming year to give us Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, part three. And I don't know of a better way to do it. You have Britt Baker become interim champion, and unlike John Moxley, her interim championship reign lasts longer. We've seen in the UFC before where interim championships have had long reigns, they've had short reigns. I think this one's going to be a longer one. And you're going to see her hold it up until March, and then we are going to get Baker Thunder Rosa part three at AEW's St. Patrick's Day show and I told you guys back in March that this was gonna—they were gonna find a way to do this again—and here it is. Justin, you got something to say? Yeah. So, question: I do like the idea of them going back to St. Patrick's Day Slam and having that trilogy of matches. But you know, first one we had a lights out match. Second one we had a steel cage match. You know, do you think this March we get a bathroom stall brawl? Oh no! Oh my God! You could you could treat it as a as a false count. You could do it as a simple false count anywhere match. And I think the perfect way to end it is you have them fight backstage, and then the match ends. In the, the match ends in the women's bathroom. Somebody gets thrown through a stall door. It shatters. They pin them with the door. One, two, three, over. But yeah, no, I think if 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 we're gonna go with my theory, because you know Lee even agreed with me back in March that they would find a way to do this again. I think if if Britt Baker does win this match, you've got to do the trilogy. You've got to finish out the trilogy at the St. Patrick's Day show. You have to. It's the only thing that makes sense. But that's my pick. I'm going with Britt Baker. Besides, Chicago loves Britt Baker. I think she's going to get the biggest ovation out of anybody in the match. She gets the biggest ovation out of anybody on the roster on any given day. So I, I think that's a fair pick for me. It's going to be either Brett Baker or Tony Storm. The other two are not winning. It's as simple yeah. as that. But moving on to our next match, we have the House of Black consisting of Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews taking on the interesting combination of Darby Allen, Sting, and the Redeemer, Miro. It's a six-man tag team match. I've been pretty into what they've got going on with Miro and Malachi Black. Feels like they're very much so trying to hold off Miro getting his hands on Black in a one-on-one match, and I think this is just one step closer to doing that. I think we're going to actually get Malachi versus Miro at Arthur Ashe, if we're being completely honest, and I think this is one step in that direction. However, I do think the House of Black needs a dominant victory, 
So I think that we are going to see the House of Black pick up the victory here. And unfortunately, I have a feeling that Darby Allen's taking the pin. Yeah, I so gotta agree with I, I gotta agree with you. House of Black, like they haven't had many like trio matches or anything to say. You know, the whole involvement with Miro, them like trying to recruit Miro in these weird segments. But it's also kind of weird that like in reports that we've read that Miro's not happy in AEW, that it's rumored that Malachi Black asked for his release and it was denied whether that's true or not who knows uh but the house of black needs this again it's it's a a group of faction not many matches you know not many you know trio matches i for one would have put them in the trio tournament and had them win but that it is what it is. Um, yeah, I got. I, I actually, I don't. Th- I I can't see Darby getting taken the pin. I gotta say, Miro takes the pinfall. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think they can do that though. I don't like in order to keep this Malachi Black Miro storyline going. I don't think either one of them should take the pin. I feel like it's gotta be Darby Allen or Sting. Sting ain't eating the pin. Sorry to break the news to all you. <laughs> Yeah, so I think your boy Darby's taking the pin on this one. All right. Stetson, what do you think? Yeah, you know, as we were kind of talking about it, I was kind of going back and forth in my head because, you know, I just said Sting ain't taking the pin because, you know, Sting actually is still undefeated in AEW from what I recall. Sting's just there to jump off shit. Yeah, <laughs> he's just there to jump off shit. Um, but yeah, I think. I kind of agree with you. Uh, I feel, think the House of Black needs a nice dominant win here. And yeah, you know, maybe moving to Alistair or Alistair Black, uh, Malachi Black and Miro going forward. Okay. All right. Justin and I are in the same place. All right, Justin. Well, we are going to move on to Jade Cargill versus Athena for the AEW TBS Championship. This is actually a storyline that's had a decent amount of build. This has been building since Athena made her AEW debut. And I think we're finally coming to a nice conclusion. And if we're being honest, I think this is the biggest threat to Jade Cargill's TBS championship reign. Um, I personally think Athena could pull out the victory here. What do you think? I think I'm smelling a title change, man. Honestly. Uh, You know, I said for the longest time, I think Chris Statlander was going to be the one dethrone Jade. And by the sound of it, it looks like that may have been the case from what I'm hearing. It was going to be uh, Jade or not Jade, but uh, Athena. Oh my God. Not Athena. Chris Statlander. I can't even figure out who the hell I'm talking about. There's so many fucking women involved in this storyline, but uh, Chris Statlander winning the TBS championship from Jade or, you know, winning the women's world title from Thunder Rosa at Arthur Ashe Stadium. You know, Chris Statler is a New York native. And, you know, if that is the case, that that fucking sucks, man. You know, terrible time to go down with an injury, especially one that's going to keep you out for a prolonged period of time, like a torn ACL and her second torn ACL in two years. I mean, 
it sucks, but you know, we got to move on. And I think Athena's probably the one who, who beats Jade Cargill here and takes the TBS title. Cause I mean, Jade has ran through everyone on the roster. There's pretty much no one left. Absolutely. I think it's her time to finally move on to the AEW women's world championship. And if Tony storm is to win that AEW interim women's world championship, I could see, uh, I could see Jade Cargill, as a potential challenger for her going forward. So both of us with Athena. Now we're going to move on to Jungle Boy taking on Christian Cage in a grudge match. This match actually kind of depresses me because if you think about it, this match has had more buildup than any other match on the card storyline-wise. It, it This is a match that they've been building for a year now. The you know the The turn from Christian Cage was executed perfectly, I think this match had all the potential to be something, but my issue was how they handled it when Jungle Boy returned. I don't think that turning Luchasaurus back to being a babyface to siding with Jungle Boy so quickly was the best move for business because I think if you really wanted to give Jungle Boy his shining moment, I think Luchasaurus should have stayed as a heel. I think he should have been the one person to stay in the way of Jungle Boy in his uh, chase to get to Christian Cage. I think it would have made perfect sense for him to eventually topple Luchasaurus, and then he would be out of the way, and he could go and do his thing. Jungle Boy could go on to face Christian Cage, and Jungle Boy would get his shining moment, which he probably will still get at all out but i just i think the the very tail end of this storytelling could have been done a lot better and that's the one thing that has soured me on the storyline yeah i agree with you the luchasaurus stuff and the turn and everything i feel like it definitely could have dragged out a little bit but i'm also not fully convinced that luchasaurus is back on the face spectrum you know the last few segments with him and jungle boy on tv uh, you know, they had that promo at Fight for the Fallen, and uh, Luchasaurus is just kind of in the background looking over at Jungle Boy, and he looks fucking pissed off and wants to rip his head off. And then I believe the following week, they did a segment where uh, Jungle Boy and Christian had a pull apart in the back with security, and Luchasaurus kind of got involved in all that. Didn't attack Christian Cage, but, you know, attacked a few security guards and let Christian Cage get away, kind of nonchalantly. Mm. But. I'm not fully convinced Luchasaurus is uh, back in the good graces with Jungle Boy at the moment. Uh, but I do I do believe we're going to get Jungle Boy winning here. Uh, you know, storyline's been great. I've been enjoying it. I fucking love Turtleneck, Heel, Christian Cage, and <laughs> everything he has to say on the mic because, you know, Christian's just fucking fantastic, but... I wouldn't mind if Christian Cage wins here, and I wouldn't be surprised either if he does, just from what I've gathered with the Luchasaurus Luchasaurus stuff going in. But I'm going to say Jungle Boy. I think Jungle Boy gets his big win here. Yeah, I I think it depends on what you just said, too. I think it depends on what Luchasaurus does, because if you have Luchasaurus do nothing and he is completely back on the babyface spectrum, then I think this one's a no-brainer. Jungle Boy gets through this final hurdle with Christian Cage. He beats him and he moves on to something else. However, I think if we're going for the swerve of actually having Luchasaurus secretly still working for Christian Cage the entire time, you could have Luchasaurus cost 
Jungle Boy, the match here, have Christian Cage win. You could go on to fa- have Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy face each other at full gear or even uh, Revolution. And then you could stretch this Jungle Boy Christian saga all the way out to double or nothing. So I think it's going to depend on what Luchasaurus does. One's a hard one um, because it's also AEW's biggest show of the year. So realistically, a younger up-and-coming talent should get the bigger victory here. But if if the idea behind the storyline is to put over both Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus in the end, I think that Luchasaurus costs Jungle Boy the match, allowing Christian Cage to pick up the victory here, and we stretch this out till double or nothing. So I'm yeah, gonna go with I'm, I'm gonna go know, with Christian I Cage. I don't see this being the end of this feud either, because you know Christian Cage has kind of brought up in promos that he knows all of Jungle Boy's secrets and hasn't really been presented to us or teased to us within the last few weeks or since that's been said. So I feel like that has to come into play at some point. So I don't think this is the only time we're going to see Christian Cage and Jungle Boy. Maybe we'll get another match at R for Ash and then we get the blow off at full gear, but sure. Sure. Yeah. We, uh, I guess we'll just have to stick around and see, but we also have a six man, another six man tag team match on this card. We have part of the pinnacle reuniting in Wardlow and FTR. Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood to face Jay Lethal and his good old friends from TNA slash Impact, the Motor City Machine Guns. Dude, this one completely caught me off guard, especially considering that in Impact slash TNA, whatever you guys still choose to call it, Motor City Machine Guns are recently at the top of the card. You know, they've, they've kind of been running this thing recently where, you know, Alex Shelley got a shot at the world title. He might not be getting it going into uh, Bound for Glory now, but like they just they just upped him and his stock as a major main event player in Impact as well. In they did that with both him and Chris Saban as baby faces. They had them joining sides with Kushida to create the Time Machine stable. So it, it really caught me off guard when they said that Jay Lethal had two tag team partners in mind and the Motor City Machine Guns entrance in titantron video started playing which i absolutely marked out to i since i can't even remember how long i've always wanted the motor city machine guns to be back on like a major wrestling television show because i think that they paved the way for stars like the young bucks stars like the usos stars like some of these tag teams that you see that are uh, you know a little faster a little more high flying the Motor City Machine Guns paved the way for superstars like that during their work in TNA in you know the early 2000s. So this one caught me off guard to see them join the heel team, but this one is going to be a classic, I think. Uh, just to be able to see Motor City Machine Guns and FTR go at it, that's a dream match I never thought we were going to see with Motor City Machine Guns still an impact. I'm a little disappointed that Wardlow's in this match and doesn't have a TNT championship match on the card, but if it means that we get part of the pinnacle reuniting, uh, you know, a stable that I thought was ended prematurely, I'm down with it. And, you know, we get to see the reuniting of, you know, three of the biggest X division stars in TNA's history, but Wardlow is on a war path right now. FTR is conquering tag team wrestling right now. And, I don't think there's anything that Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns do to get in the way of that. So I've got the pinnacle picking up the victory here. Yeah, I'm going the same direction. You know, initially it looked like this was going to be Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Duck going against uh, FTR and Wardlow. 
But you take Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt out, and this becomes a completely different match when you insert the Motor City machine guns into the equation, and I'm very happy about it. Mm-hmm. This should be fun. I'm actually very excited for this. I'm excited to see the Motor City machine guns and FTR in the ring together. Hopefully we get a regular straight-up two-on-two tag match with them as well, maybe on an Impact show within the next few months, which absolutely I'd be down for. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to get another Wardlow Jay Lethal match for the TNT title, and that's what that's going to build to. And by the end of this, I'm sure the main goal of all this, Wardlow is going to give a powerbomb to Satnam Singh, which they've kind of been building the last few weeks. A symphony of powerbombs, if you will. A symphony of power bombs, correct. So yeah, no, this one's this one's gonna be fun. This is gonna be a fun match. Speaking of fun matches, we have the casino ladder match with the winner receiving a future AEW World Championship match coming up next. We have Claudio Castagnoli, the Ring of Honor World Champion, taking on the Ring of Honor Pure Champion and BCC or BBC, whatever you want to call it. Not BBC. (laughs) Those are two different things. Um, (laughs) Taking on his stablemate. Wheeler Yuta also taking on Penta El Cerro, Miedo, Ray Phoenix, Roosh, Andrade El Idolo, Dante Martin, and a competitor to be determined. Before we decide who wins, Justin, who do you think the mystery man is? MJF. I think the Joker is going to be MJF here. So I don't think it's going to be MJF, and I will get to that later on. I will explain before the end of the show why I don't think it's MJF. But the other name that's been floating around that we haven't seen in a little while because Jay Lethal and his crew kind of took him out for a little while is Samoa Joe. I could see Samoa Joe being the uh, man that enters this match as well. And to be honest, I could see him winning it. But the only problem with that is he's also still holding the Ring of Honor Television Championship. And I don't think they're going to try and double champion him. So the only problem is is there's a couple of champions in this match already. We've got Claudio Castagnoli holding the Ring of Honor World Championship. We've got Wheeler Yuta holding the Pure Championship. I would love to see uh, Penta El Cerro Miedo, Pentagon Jr., whatever you guys want to call him. I would love to see him get back into the main event. I thought he did an awesome job as Impact World Champion when he was in Impact Wrestling. That man is main event talent. If he does end up breaking away from the Lucha Brothers, same thing goes for Ray Phoenix, but they're both in the tag team division right now. So I don't see that happening. Dante Martin, I think he's still too young. I, I could see them having him win if they want to have him cash in with that title shot later, maybe have a great match and then lose and still up his stock. But I think you want a winner that's actually going to use this to eventually win. Cause especially considering that we saw Wardlow win it before or whatever the match was that he won. It was the casino ladder match or the, the face of the revolution, same idea. Um, and we didn't see him win the TNT championship. So I think this time you want to see someone that's actually going to win. And I think the best choice for me personally to win the match is Andrade El Idolo. Yeah, so going by what you were saying and having Samoa Joe as the Joker is definitely something I could see happening. You know, judging by who wins the main event, whether it be CM Punk or John Moxley. Because, you know, in the end, I expect whoever wins this to get their title match at all, or uh, not all out. Obviously, this is at all out, but... Arthur Ashe Stadium for Grand Slam, which is in about two or three weeks. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did like CM Punk and Samoa Joe as a main event on that show for the world title. 
you know, bring, bringing it back to Ring of Honor. But I, I'm I'm pretty confident on MJF in this. I feel like when they bring MJF, they got to have him back for a main event feud, world title feud. And, you know, if they do do the match at Arthur Ashe in New York, MJF loves New York. It's probably the only place he loves, whether it be Long Island, Queens, you name it. But I see MJF coming back, and I see him challenging for the world title in a few weeks at our Farage Stadium. Okay, okay. Well, I'll touch on that a little more, in my opinion, in a little while. But the next match we have is Swerve in Our Glory, the AEW World Tag Team Champions, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland taking on the acclaimed Anthony Bowens and Max Caster for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. Scissor me, daddy. Ass. Scissor me, daddy. Ass. Um, so I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. You guys have heard me say multiple times over the months now that the acclaimed needs to be AEW World Tag Team Champions at some point. In my opinion, aside from maybe the Young Bucks and FTR, they are the most over tag team on the roster. They bring, it's, it's funny that they're associated um, occasionally with Billy Gunn because they remind me of the modern new version of the New Age Outlaws. And I think that tag team wise, nobody touches them on the mic and the crowd is just being eating up everything they've been doing since they turned baby face. My only issue is we basically have two face teams facing each other here. Um, the only way I think the acclaim picks up the victory here is, you know, we saw dissension between Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland before they won the tag titles. And I think if they decide that they want to turn Keith Lee and make him a monster heel that you could have him cost him and Strickland, the tag titles here and basically, you know, set up a match down the road for maybe double or nothing, maybe revolution, something like that. Uh, But if that doesn't happen, I don't see Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland losing the tag titles here. So this is another one. It it depends on what their end game is, but if I, if I'm going to pick right off the top of my hat, Swerve our glory, they they retain the tag titles. Yeah, as much as I want to see the acclaimed win, and you will not find a complaint from me if they do end up walking out of Chicago with the tag titles, but this whole thing just seems very rushed to me. Like mm-hmm. this was a last-minute decision. But, you know, the match should be very good. I'm excited. I'm going to go Swerve in our glory only because, you know, this whole thing kind of came out of nowhere, and the acclaimed really just getting started as a face tag team, but you know, they'll have their time. I'm not, not too worried about that. I agree. This is, this is the sports entertainment match of the night. I think for me, Uh, you know, as Chris Jericho would like to call it, but moving on to grudge matches again, we, we talked about the grudge match between jungle boy and Christian cage earlier. That's not the only grudge match on the card. We also have powerhouse Hobbs taking on Ricky Starks at all out. And, this is probably the match I'm personally most excited for because we all knew it was a matter of time before Ricky Starks turned face and became an absolute star. And that's what we're seeing slowly happen right now. All of the hurdles have been put in front of him coming into this match between powerhouse Hobbs attacking him from behind uh, multiple times to having the factory go after Ricky Starks and take him out. They they've stacked the deck and set up 
for, you know, Ricky Starks to probably get the hell beaten out of him most of this match, but he's going to have the comeback of the night. And in my opinion, this is the night you make Ricky Starks an absolute star and you have him defeat Powerhouse Hobbs. He eventually moves on to the TNT title picture or, you know, maybe even the Ring of Honor world title picture. And he starts rising his stock in AEW and that starts here. I think Powerhouse Hobbs can take the, the, the loss as long as he bounces back from it quick enough and goes after somebody of note as soon as he loses. But I think it's Ricky Starks' night. You know, believe it or not, I think I'm going to go in the opposite direction here and I'm going to say Powerhouse Hobbs win. You know, the turn only happened a few weeks ago, so you're really just getting started with everything. And I could see them dragging this out a few more months, maybe until the next pay-per-view at full gear. So, yeah, I'm going to say Powerhouse Hobbs, and, you know, we prolong this feud a little bit. And I'm I'm excited for Hobbs and Starks at All Out, you know? Should be a very good match with their chemistry. But changing gears... We have the tournament final for the inaugural AEW World Trios Tag Team Championships. We have the elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks facing the Dark Order. We have Silver Reynolds and Hangman Adam Page representing the Dark Order taking on Hangman Adam Page's former cohorts in the elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Justin, who do you have winning this match? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be Omega and the Bucks. You know, like I said, these titles have been on ice for so long and we know we know they've been coming we know they've been on the way the titles have been made for so long it was just a matter of when kenny was going to be back and ready to go now he's back he's here everyone's talking about him everyone's talking about him in the elite it's going to be them uh and we're going to get a good story told in this match with hangman because you know that that was who the bucks went to at first and to be a part of this trios title tournament was hangman and he said no you know Dark Order had his back when he was going after the world title and they were by his side and he doesn't want to be involved. And now he's by, you know, the Dark Order side. The only reason he's in this match now is because the injury that was sustained by 10 in the match with the House of Black on Rampage. And then Evil Uno got the shit kicked out of him by Andrade and Jose the assistant. But a lot of things led up to that. And Hangman Page is now in the match. But it should be fun. I think there's going to be a lot of emotion, a lot of storytelling in this. and. I'm excited, but Omega and the Bucks, inaugural tag or uh, trios champions. So I can actually see this one going the exact opposite other way. Um, Wingman on page has not been seen or heard from very much since losing the AEW World Championship to CM Punk. CM Punk calls him out. I know, even when CM Punk calls him out, he hasn't been seen much. And I could almost see this as being the hangman dark order redemption angle. You know, you saw when hangman was trying to capture the world title when he was world champion, that he kind of distanced himself from dark order at certain times because he felt bad about them either getting beaten up by the elite or anybody else that he felt bad about kind of putting them in the middle of his drama and his business all the time. And I could see this being that, that redeeming moment for the dark order and hangman Adam page, as well as the redeeming moment for hangman Adam page, having lost the AEW world championship to get him back into the fold, regardless of how this match ends, whether it's the elite that wins or the dark order, I think with the way that the character shift is going with the young bucks and possibly Kenny Omega, um, 
you know, we, we have seen, like you have mentioned to me in the past, we've seen Don Callis kind of putting, you know, some mind games into effect when it comes to Will Ospreay possibly taking Kenny Omega's spot down the road. We have the option of Kenny Omega possibly kicking him to the curb. So we have like this baby face character shift going on between the elite. And with that being said, I think no matter who wins the matches or wins the match here, I I think you're going to see the opposite team shake the hands of the winners. And I think you're going to see them celebrate with them. I don't see this as just being, I don't see this being a feud that continues afterwards because I think these are going to be your two bigger baby face teams in the trios division going forward. You know, I think there's there's plenty of heel teams lined up with the Andrade House Office, with uh, the House of Black. You can always turn the Lucha Brothers heel again. They can be, uh, you know, along with Pac, and you can make Death Triangle a heel tag team. Um, you've got you've got plenty of options with heel trios teams, and I think that Dark Order and the Elite are going to be your top babyface team. So I don't think this goes farther than this. I think you're going to see them celebrate with whoever wins, and I think that'll be that going forward who I don't think you'll see celebrating with each other is whoever wins the main event of the AEW world championship match. We've got a blood feud going on right now between John Moxley and CM Punk. There's a lot to dive into with this one. So let's get at it. Uh, CM Punk came back from injury early. He was injured earlier this year, dove into the crowd, broke his foot and had to not vacate the title, but basically allow an interim champion to take his place. John Moxley wins the interim AEW world championship. And then punk came back a few weeks back. They led up to the match that happened on AEW dynamite between punk and Moxley to unify the AEW world championship. And we saw that absolute squash of a match. John Moxley destroyed CM punk to become the AEW world champion. Now, then what we saw earlier this week on AEW dynamite, we kind of thought that the main event was, you know, up for grabs because we didn't know if we were going to get punk versus Moxley too. After being absolutely demolished, we kind of figured CM Punk might've still been injured and maybe that's why he lost the title. And, you know, I think people started to think that even more when we saw John Moxley put an open contract for all out in the middle of the ring on dynamite, which by the way, what a shitty way to build up a world title match for your biggest show of the year. If WWE had done a an open contract and put it in the middle of the ring a week before WrestleMania, people would have had their heads. Well, okay, let me ask you something. So John Moxley just drops this contract in the middle of the ring, says straight up, like, my signature's on it. Whoever grabs it and signs it, you're you're getting a championship match main event at all out. Why the fuck did the whole roster not just run out to that ring when he said that? Yeah, you would think it would have been like when Meng Foley dropped the 24-7 championship the day it debuted. And the whole roster ran for a meaningless title, but you've got a you've got an open contract for a world championship match in the main event of the biggest show of the year, and nobody runs for it. Yeah, nobody even made an attempt to come out there. Like, here's my thing. If I'm Hangman Adam Page, don't I want my rematch? I'm Chris Jericho. Don't I want my rematch? I don't care if I'm in another, like if I'm, if, if we're obviously professional wrestling is a scripted sport, but if I'm to believe that the way they scripted is supposed to, the storytelling is supposed to be as if it is real. Wouldn't you want us to think it's real by having everybody go after the contract, even the guys that are already in matches. Like if I, if, if I am theoretically hangman Adam page in professional wrestling is not scripted. 
I'll I'll wrestle two matches if it means I have a shot at the world championship in the main event. Man, man fuck your trios titles. <laughs> right? No, I mean, but like Chris Jericho defeated both Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock in one night to win the undisputed championship. I don't know if he ever told you, uh, but like he, we've seen people wrestle multiple times in a night before. So why, like the the. I don't know. The logic just doesn't make sense. Have guys that are on the card go for it. Have guys that aren't on the card go for it. But we didn't see that. We saw nobody show up until Ace Steel, former cohort of CM Punk, um, you know, did time in Ring of Honor, had a short stint in WWE uh, back in the day. Um, Good friend of CM Punk. We saw him come to the ring and grab the contract. Nobody knew what was going on. A lot of people didn't even know who the man was. Uh, And we see him disappear for a little while. Later on, Punk comes out. He starts He starts what everybody thought was the beginning of a heel turn promo where he was about to say, you know, maybe the, the love of the fans isn't enough anymore. And then you see Ace Steel come out and berate Punk basically saying, this is not why you came back. You filled an arena based off of a rumor that you were coming back and this is not who you are and slaps him in the face and tells him to get his head, get his ass back in the game and sign the damn contract and face John Moxley for the world championship. That promo then turned around my idea. I may not have been happy with the initial idea of an open contract for the main event for the biggest show of the year, but that CM Punk promo was amazing. And in my opinion, what it is going to do is that is going to be known as CM Punk's last babyface promo before he commits a giant heel turn and becomes what Eddie Kingston, what Hangman Adam Page, and what John Moxley have all said he is. And and that's just a snake to to get to AEW and basically put himself over, which, you know, kind of makes sense because in WWE, that was what CM Punk was against. He was against the guys that weren't around for so long coming in and winning the world title and taking away time from guys, younger guys on the card. But like what other better way is there to turn CM Punk heel than to have him go against what made him legitimately walk away from professional wrestling to begin with? Yeah. You know, that promo with Ace Steel and CM Punk on Dynamite, it, it sold this show, man. You know, a lot of a lot of emotion there. And, you know, I we were kind of going back and forth on what everything meant with the initial Punk and Moxley unification match. You know, why did they have Punk lose in three minutes? Why, why this? Why that? Is Punk gone? Is he leaving? Are they worried he's going to leave? Is that why they're taking the title off? A lot of things were just flying all in the air at once. Now it looks like they're going more down the route of CM Punk, you know, kind of down on his luck. He needs to remind himself of who he is. And, you know, of all places in Chicago against Moxley. I don't know about you, Alex. I think we're getting a CM Punk win here, and CM Punk's going to become a two-time AEW world champion. So I'm going to actually agree with you. I think Punk is going to win the AEW world championship. I think he's going to win by dirty tactics. I think he's going to turn heel at the end of the match. I think you're going to see whether it's a low blow or a ref bump or something inadvertently with Ace Steel getting involved. I think Ace Steel is going to slowly become CM Punk's new manager, you know, considering Paul Heyman's not in AEW, so that doesn't work. Uh, and I think you're going to see him turn heel. I think it, it, that CM Punk walks away the AEW world champion from all out, especially considering that it's in Chicago. However, we're going to go back to the casino ladder match. If your theory is correct and MJF 
shows up and he wins the casino ladder match and receives a future AEW World Championship match, he's cashing in against CM Punk at All Out and he's walking away with the AEW World Championship that night. You see, that's the thing with the casino ladder match. The way they've done it in the past is so... I forgot how they did it. They did it with Lance Archer and he had his match at the anniversary edition of Dynamite which is like the first week, week of October. Right. Then I think Brian Cage won it prior to him, and he had his match at Fight for the Fallen. So I don't think it'll be MJF walking out with the title on that night at All Out. I think, like I said, I think it's going to end up in Arthur Ashe Stadium in front of, you know, AEW's or one of AEW's biggest crowds of the year. Because if MJF does come back, he does win that casino ladder match and gets a world title match. I think it has to be against CM Punk. He's made it clear, like, things are not over between them. It'll, it will not be over until CM Punk is in the ground and he pisses on his grave. In MJF's words, you know? Yeah, well, so, regardless, this, this end of this show, I think, is going to be centered around the future of MJF. Um, whether, you know, because that casino ladder match there really hasn't generally been a rule of when someone faces somebody so it could be at a show afterwards it could be at a pay-per-view afterwards it could be later that night Mm -hmm. aw has never really made set rules on when the person can have their match so i could see that being a loophole for them to basically be able to do whatever they want here um that is one theory the other theory is that mjf does not return in the casino ladder match like i had said earlier when i predicted it and he just shows up after the main event's over Basically, he gives a nod to Punk, lets him know that things are not over between the two of them. MJF gets a microphone uh, on Dynamite and basically calls Punk out. I think this th- this whole Punk eventually turning heel thing is leading to him versus MJF because MJF's promo before he went radio silent, w- there's no way that wasn't a babyface turn. He He let the fans in. He went off on management in a similar way that CM Punk did to WWE management in 2011. So what he did there was, in my opinion, basically foreshadowing that he's eventually going to win the world title and it's going to be from CM Punk. I think MJF is going to be the baby face in this situation. Um, so I think that leads to either him cashing in the championship uh, victory in the ladder match later that night, or he either shows up after the main event's over or he saves John Moxley from a beatdown at the hands of CM Punk after the match is over, after CM Punk wins the championship. But all I know is I think after All Out, we are heading towards CM Punk versus MJF for the AEW World Championship. Yeah, in, in some form or fashion, we're getting MJF on the show, and it's going to be involved with the world title in some shape or fashion. Which we've all been begging for for years now, and it's finally coming to a head. It's going to be awesome. But ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our predictions of the AEW All Out pay-per-view. If you would like to listen to us more, you can find our podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. You can find it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podbay, Red Circle, wherever podcasts can be found. You can also find us on our social media on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, just about anywhere you can find us on twitch where you will catch me the video game guru the adorable one alex todd hanging out on perch gaming 
We're going to be streaming wrestling games. We're going to be streaming non-wrestling games, maybe a little bit of Fall Guys, maybe a little bit of Fortnite, maybe a little bit of Warzone, whatever's popular at the moment. And there's always going to be WWE 2K in the mix. I am currently in contact with members of the Pro Wrestling Mods Discord channel, currently teaching me how to mod the game so we can bring some of your old favorites back into the game that are not in the game currently. I have learned that we can port people from the WWE 2K19, 2K18, and 2K20 series, port their characters right over into the game, and we will be showing that off soon. You can, like I said, follow us on TikTok, where you can find excellent Selena scenes made by the one and only Lee Walker. You can find Matt Cardona, Zack Ryder, whatever you'd like to call him, winning the Intercontinental Championship in a ladder match at WrestleMania 32. Lee likes to tell everybody that if that's not Selena scene, I don't know what is. And because Lee's not here with us currently anymore, I've got to say it, you can find a video on our TikTok of the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, being humped by a dog. But ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our night. And remember, spoiler free is the way to be. Justin, take it. We are all out. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining today's media briefing with Tony Khan. Just a few quick items before we get started. Please make sure your phone is unmuted. This allows us to open your line to ask a question. So if you'd like to ask a question, please unmute, unmute your microphones now. Once you have asked your question, we will mute your line to avoid any background noise during the response. To indicate that you would like to ask a question, please click the hand icon on the GoTo dashboard. You can also type a question anytime in the question section on the dashboard. Today's session will last approximately 55 minutes and we will make every attempt to include your question time permitting. As always, please note that no live streaming or broadcasting of this call is permitted. We will be sharing an audio recording of the session afterwards. I will now turn the call over to our moderator, Jim. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Um, thanks again for joining us today for this uh, special call with Tony Khan to discuss the upcoming All Out pay-per-view event uh, this Sunday night. So before we get going, just a few quick housekeeping uh, items in the interest of time. And we want to give as many people the opportunity to, to be involved here. So we checked in with Tony earlier today. He's doing very well. So there's no need for everyone to ask. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, we also have kindly refrained that you ask, uh, you refrain from asking two-part questions. Uh, and, and please, if we can, keep your questions focused on the upcoming all-out show. So kind of, you know, because that's what that's what's ahead of here for all. And, and finally, as just mentioned, please make sure your phone is unmuted. We have a huge number of reporters on this particular call. So the tighter we can make it, the more people we can get involved. And I think that's what we all like. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tony Khan for a couple opening thoughts. And then we're going to open the lines after that for questions uh, from you for the next 55 minutes or so. Tony, you there? Yeah, Jim, I am. Thanks for the great introduction. Uh, hello, everybody. And uh, really excited to catch up with everybody ahead of All Out. Um, thanks for coming to this. And we could get started whenever you're ready, Jim. 
Okay, well that's that's wonderful. So let's get going. I'm gonna I'm gonna call on Chris Mueller. He's gonna kick us off here from Bleacher Report. Uh, so Chris, be ready here. And after Chris, I'm gonna go to Brandon Thurston from Russell Russell So Chris, you're leading us off. Hey Doc. All right. Thanks. Hey Tony. Thanks for taking the time. So uh, we just saw quite a bit get added to the card here over the last week or two. And I was just kind of wondering if you could expand on why you maybe waited as long as you did to make some of those announcements so close to the event. Sure. Uh, a lot of it was due to people coming back from injury and not being able to control that. So CM Punk, we didn't feel good about CM Punk coming out and doing anything physical until he and his doctors were ready for that. And August 10th, Quake by the Lake, he came back like a bat out of hell. And now there's questions going into Punk Mox, too. Did CM Punk come back too soon? Uh, but he definitely came back and got in the ring as quickly as he physically possibly could have. And uh, it has put us in a really interesting situation leading into the pay-per-view and, and given us a lot to talk about going into this match. So I think that's a very exciting situation. I was really excited about the Brian Danielson American Dragon versus Lionheart Chris Jericho match. It was not really possible to get it going the way I wanted to until around July 27th. I was, uh, I think it was the July 27th uh, was the Wednesday, I believe. And we were in Massachusetts for the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. And uh, I had gotten the, the clearance that Danielson would be coming back finally at the end of July. He had been gone for about two months. And I made a lot of fundamental changes to the middle parts of this story but we were able to do a lot of great things to, to make everything work out really positively. We still, we had a great anarchy in the arena match. It's one of the best matches in AEW history. It is considered a five-star match by a lot of people. And it's one of my favorite things we've ever done, but the fallout and the really negative part of the match was an injury to Brian Danielson that put him out of action for about two months. And in that time, you're losing one of the greatest wrestling stars in the history of the sport. And it, it, that's coming at a time when the world champion CM Punk, another one of the biggest stars in wrestling, was out. So uh, I worked. I brought in Claudio Castagnoli to help with the Blackpool Combat Club. And also, uh, it was great timing. Uh, you know, I had really planned for Claudio to, to potentially be coming in around the Ring of Honor pay-per-view anyway. But he came in a bit earlier, worked the Forbidden Door. And, uh, and then worked the blood and guts match. And by filling in for Brian in the forbidden door against Zack Sabre and in the blood and guts match against Jericho Appreciation Society, it got Claudio into AEW, uh, in an exciting way, really differently and sooner than I had originally planned. And with Brian Danielson versus Daniel Garcia, I picked things up following death before dishonor with Danielson's comeback match versus Garcia. And, of course, Garcia getting a, a, a shocking upset win that led to a rematch with Garcia, which was, um, which, was something I'd built, which was something I'd built up for the promotion of the HBO House of the Dragon event. And I really wanted to make sure for our awesome media partner, Warner Brothers Discovery, when they asked me to come up with something good to promote House of the Dragon, I felt like I had something really strong with the Danielson versus Garcia two out of three falls match with Ricky, the dragon steamboat at ringside and all of this to further the storylines of what's happening between Danielson and Garcia, what's happening between Jericho and Garcia 
and two of the all-time great wrestlers going one-on-one now, Danielson versus Jericho. And things came full circle this summer. I think Jericho being in the best condition he's been in, you know, Jericho and Mox have really stepped up for the company in a major way when so many of the top stars were down. And it was very fitting that they had that world title match. Again, a lot of people thought that was a five-star match, and it's another one of my favorite TV matches. And Moxley versus Jericho got us going in a big way at the Quake by the Lake. And then, of course, CM Punk came back after that. And then we saw the Lionheart. I think Chris looks as good as ever. I really do. And certainly as good as he's ever been in AEW. And he's turned back the clock in many ways. And it's amazing to see a side-by-side of Lionheart 26 years apart. I, you know, certainly would have been great to get some of these matches maybe out a little sooner, but I think we got, we hit the beats of the stories perfectly given the availability of the biggest stars. So that's two of the matches on the card. Um, and you know, there's a domino effect with a lot of those things, a lot of reasons why things were announced when they were announced, but, um, certainly for the trios tournament, for example, we still don't know because of the, the nature of the tournament. And some of that was based on the availability, the bracketing. Also, Kenny Omega was returning from injury about as quickly as he possibly could have. And I had to work around the availability of Will Ospreay. So uh, those are just some of the factors in it, Doc. But um, it, it, very complicated. And Forbidden Door and All Out both were affected by the injury bug. But honestly, I felt like I had a little bit more time to tie things together for All Out and, and get us in a really good place because ahead of Forbidden Door, there were only four weeks between Double or Nothing and Forbidden Door, and two of the biggest stars on the Forbidden Door card, Punk and Danielson, were out. So it was really working to save that show. And then I had a bit more time to put this stuff together where, you know, at least coming out of Death Before Dishonor at the end of July, um, I had a pretty good idea when people would be back. And then really, I thought the month of August was really strong. And July 27th were really strong for AEW, where I feel like the last five shows of Dynamite have been really excellent. And I, I don't think it's just my opinion. You know, you can go to Cage Match and hundreds of fans just put their ratings on the matches like IMDb for movies. And this is the one of the strongest five-week runs in the history of the show. And uh, I think it's in large part due to having some of the great stars back from injury. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Tony. Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is next. And Brandon will be followed by Amy Nemedy from WrestleJoy. Brandon? Hi, Tony. Thanks for the time again. Uh, I'm great, Brandon. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I would, I would like to ask you about the Rampage ratings. Like the, the, the monthly averages for Rampage have been gradually a little bit lower sequentially uh, in most months. Last year at this time, Rampage, of course, is doing very strong ratings. But even if you look back on January, January averaged a uh, 0.23 rating in 18 to 49. August just finished averaging a little over half that of 0.14. Uh, and over time, we've seen fewer appearances on Rampage from people like Punk and Jericho and Moxley. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I'm wondering, what do you think the reason is for that trend in viewership for Rampage? And are you comfortable with the ratings for that show being what they are lately? I'm so glad you asked because you really set me up for something I'm really excited to talk about. Thank you very much, Brandon. Uh, I have seen that. So in anticipation of a lot of the top stars in AEW returning, this is the effect of a lot of the top stars out. It was, in my opinion, we we kept the company really strong through the summer because the flagship show of AEW Dynamite 
has continued to have really strong ratings. So going into last night, we had 13 straight Wednesdays. I, I don't know last night's numbers yet, honestly, but um, go, going into last night, we had 13 straight Wednesdays where we've been one of the top two shows on cable. And I, I'm pretty sure the majority of the 13, like Brandon, you would know whether it's nine or 10 out of the 13 weeks, we've been number one show on cable on Wednesdays. And it has been, honestly, now I can admit it due to all the people coming back and the fact that it's just not going to be the case this Friday and, and going forward because the stars are back that you astutely kind of hinted at in your question, Brandon. A lot of the biggest stars in AEW have been out, and the stars I have had, I've really had to put them on dynamite every single week. And almost every week, week in, week out, you could count on seeing, you know, Moxley and Jericho and the people who were in AEW on a weekly basis. Now we've had Kenny Omega, Adam Cole, uh, and and several others, in addition to CM Punk and Brian Danielson, who I mentioned earlier, that have been out with injuries. These are all people that have had some of the highest rated and most important matches in the history of Rampage. I mean, when you, John Moxley uh, is one of the biggest rating movers ever on that show, and the biggest rating we saw this year was his match with Wheeler Yuta. But now, if you look all summer, uh, for the mo- almost every week, with a couple of exceptions, uh, John Moxley has been on Rampage a few times, but almost every week on Dynamite, pretty much every single week on Dynamite through that summer. And uh, then again, Jericho. Has, has done appearance on commentary, but but hasn't been able to wrestle on the show in a long time. Adam Cole was a fixture on the show wrestling. Jungle Boy uh, has been, his program with Christian has been pretty focused on, on Dynamite, and that hasn't been as much due to injury uh, as, as story focused, but I didn't want to take the focus off it just by throwing Jungle Boy in matches. And then uh, there have been, because he's really more focused on a person than he is on his career at this point. And, uh, so honestly, I'm really excited, man, because I, I want to reset and I am very cognizant for some of the fans that, you know, some of the, we, what I did with Rampage in the summer was try to make the best of a situation where I wanted to load the star, excuse me, load the show up with stars as we had in the beginning where the first episode of Rampage, you have matches like Kenny Omega versus Christian. And in the first year matches like Brian, Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston and CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs. We have not been able to offer those kind of matches because it, when those kind of guys have been healthy, I've had to put that kind of stuff on dynamite, just to be honest. And now we're at a point where when the whole roster is back by this week, I think this Friday on the live rampage, hopefully it will be a, a, a preview of what's in store after all out, because I think after all out, the roster is going to be in, as strong as a place as it's been in a long time. if probably the strongest it's ever been. And I really believe then week in, week out, we'll have the roster the way I always wanted it to be, the way I think we got at least uh, we had a bit of time. I really felt like in late 2020, in late, you know, back half of 2021, when Rampage was first introduced, the roster was just in this amazing place. I talked about it a little bit today in an article that's on Yahoo. You know, it's kind of amazing where you had the first three AEW world champions uh, were Jericho, Moxley, and Omega. And then we had these three great free agents come in around this time last year with Punk, Danielson, and Cole. And then within about a month, all of Jericho, Moxley, and Omega had to leave for different health reasons. And they were all out and gone. It was unthinkable. And all of a sudden, every week, I would say quietly backstage, like, oh, my God, thank God I brought these three guys in. 
because if we hadn't brought in Punk, Danielson, and Cole, I mean, the three programs that really got us through the end of the year and carried across the TV were uh, Punk versus MJF, Danielson versus Hangman Page, and Orange Cassidy versus Adam Cole. And variations on the, I mean, really, week in, week out, those drew. And, um, it you know, it was so great to have those three guys in. Then Moxley and Jericho come back better than ever, and we lost all three of, of Punk, uh, Danielson, and Cole. And now, uh, you know, it's coming back together in the roster. I really feel like Brandon uh, will be helped. And Rampage, I just want everyone to know, now that the roster is back, I can put my full attention into this. I know I said it in April, by the way, and a lot of things happened after April with the injury bug. I made these statements in April, and I really felt like it was moving in a great direction. The highest, I believe it's the highest rated Rampage of the year was actually right after I, I kind of addressed some of the stuff. We did Moxley versus Yuta. The show was on fire. And then, of course, we had these injuries to Danielson, Punk, and Cole, right as we were really getting rolling with Jericho and Moxley coming back and not missing a beat. So that that is what I believe, Brandon. I think with the, the star power coming back, you know, this week and, and in the coming weeks, you'll see uh, a lot of stars returning to Rampage. The kind of big matches we did at the very beginning when, when we had a fully healthy roster to, to support the three hours of TV or even really, honestly, you saw – at Grand Slam, frankly, we could easily support four hours of TV with that roster and not miss a beat. And uh, we showed that last year with Grand Slam. But, you know, we had lost so many guys. <laughs> I could do three hours of TV, but not three hours where it's star, 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 star. I mean, you saw at Grand Slam four hours of star, 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 star. So um, that's how I feel. And, and certainly it'll be helped because through the months of October and November and, of course, this Friday, this Friday, uh, the first one in September, going into Labor Day weekend and all out, will be live. And we have more live rampages through the rest of this year than we have all year combined so far. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. Thanks for the question, because it's something I really wanted to cover. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Amy Nemedy from WrestleJoy is next. I'm gonna follow with the write-in after Amy uh, from Kenny McIntosh at Inside the Ropes. Amy, you're up. Hi, Tony. Last year's All Out was one of the best shows in AEW history, and it looks like this year's All Out is going to stack up very similarly from zero hour to the pre and the pre-show all the way to the main event of All Out proper. This card is super stacked. But one of the matches that or I guess two of them that I have my eye on are the women's matches. We have two epic women's matches on the All Out card. We have Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm, Britt Baker, and Hikaru Shida fighting for the interim women's championship, and Jade Cargill and Athena fighting for the TBS championship. Both of these matches have a lot of history between the opponents and a lot of rich storytelling within the women's division. What was it like putting these matches together, and do you have any expectations that there might be some surprise match stealers within these women's matches? Uh, well, it's a great question. I'm very excited for both matches. Uh, really excited to have Athena in AEW. She's been tremendous. It's great to have someone of her experience. And I think uh, it's going to be a great matchup of styles with Athena versus Jade. Um, it is certainly uh, with Jade's size. In some ways, you consider Athena the underdog. But with Athena's experience, uh, I think that gives her a big advantage. 
So we'll hear these two women and what, what they have to say tomorrow night on Rampage. They're going to sit down with Mark Henry and get a, get a preview of the fight. And we'll have a, a little bit more of an idea what to expect from Jade Cargill versus Athena for the TBS title. So I'm really excited for that and excited to hear what they have to say with Mark on Rampage tomorrow night. And as for the four-way, I really enjoyed uh, the tag team match between the four participants in that interim world championship match. Uh, it was really a light bulb thing, just like uh, I felt really strong about setting up uh, an eliminator and going into Forbidden Door with a great main event of Moxley versus Tanahashi, even though it was not what we had originally planned. Uh, I think it's worked out great. And obviously, John now is a great world champion for AW, and we have a great rematch coming up with John Moxley versus CM Punk. Well, the interim title situation here, when Thunder Rosa made it clear she was injured, uh, I, you know, felt the same way I did when CM Punk got hurt. You know, we have a great champion who's injured. We need to um, protect the champion and protect the championship and make sure the fans are getting great championship matches and, and keep the title situation hot. So I thought the right thing to do and what we did was have Thunder Rosa take some time, have her injuries heal and crown an interim women's world champion. I think it's going to be a great match and it took me, not long to come up with who I thought the four best wrestlers for this match would be, because I think that it's just so clear. You have um, former world champion Hikaru Shida. She picked up the big win in the match last night. She's excellent. Her partner, the number one contender, Tony Storm. I felt like she had an amazing match with Thunder Rosa. They formed a great partnership. And I thought Tony uh, was a very worthy top contender and still is. And I think, uh, you know, she, they were excellent in the tag match last night too. So it's interesting. And also really good uh, to have former world champion, Dr. Britt Baker uh, here in the mix here. She's got a lot of history with both Hikaru Shida and Tony storm and uh, be very interesting to see how things develop with Jamie Hayter. Uh, it's going to be every woman for herself and all of them fighting for the interim world championship. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, of course, with the close friendship and, and relationship between Dr. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, both in that match fighting for the title. So I'm really excited for it. I think uh, that's four of the best wrestlers in the company. So I think that's going to be an awesome match. And I don't think anybody has any idea what to expect, which is really good and uh, should be an awesome, awesome match. And so I'm excited for both of those title matches. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Amy. Um, after I read Kenny McIntosh's uh, write-in question, we're going to go to Jay Shell Nicole from Inclusive Creations. So, Tony, what Kenny's got here is uh, he's talking a little bit about <clears throat> Punk and Moxley uh, uh, going at each other, having a match on television to help build for the pay-per-view. Did you see that as a risky strategy, or did you feel like that was the way to go? Oh. I'm sorry. Can you uh, can you can you can you one more time? Can you tell me was one more time? Read that. Sorry. Sure, sure. You know, he's kind of curious as to you know the idea of doing a different kind of a buildup uh, with Punk and Moxley by doing a match on television, leading into sure. a match between those two on a pay per view. You know, is that a, a sort of a taking a chance by doing that? Or yeah, definitely. Sure. Got it. Got it. Well, thanks. Thanks for the question. And I appreciate it. I've certainly now I understand. And I think it's a question that's come up a lot. And I just want to double check and make sure I got uh, the gist of it, which I think I do. 
Uh, it's a great question. A lot of people are asking it, and I do think it's been a big benefit. And it's different than what we've typically done. And it's funny because t- it's uh, it's from one extreme to the other because I've done go-home shows where all the hay is in the barn, and sometimes it can be a challenge. And you're really just – you have everything teed up, and you're really just kind of uh, taking practice swings almost at a ball that's already on the tee. Uh, in this case, uh, I knew it was going to be a fast and furious – build up but i think the anticipation has been even stronger i wouldn't say we should do it like this every time but this is i believe the 15th pay-per-view for aew and we've never done anything like this and i think it made the build very exciting it's raised a lot of questions going into the match there's a lot of speculation about uh what the future holds for both men what the future holds for the championship and what's going to happen in John Moxley versus CM Punk part two, based on what happened in that match on TV. It also was undeniably a great ratings draw for us. We uh, had a tremendous audience last week. And I think most of the people or a large percentage of the people on the call, at least hopefully would have seen the press release that Warner brothers discovery put out in support of the tremendous ratings we pulled last week, which was, you know, again, we were the number one show on cable and uh, had a big lift week over week. And the biggest thing uh, of all that, you know, I thought was really, really cool was I thought we built even more interest and intrigue in the pay-per-view while doing the biggest total audience the show has done since February. So uh, I was really pleased with it. Now I know it was what it created was a week of people loudly wondering what the heck is going on here this this is crazy and i think there's in this case that was good so no i'm i I, now that we're close to the pay-per-view and we had that amazing show last night and i feel like a lot of people are wondering what the heck's going on here and uh the promos that john and punk did i think reeled a lot of people back in and in particular hearing what cm punk had to say in chicago i think people are up to see this great title fight on sunday so thanks, Jim. I appreciate uh, you you giving me that question. And, uh, you know, I really do feel very good about where we're at with it now that we've uh, had some great TV. And I think there's a lot of excitement going into Sunday's pay-per-view. No question about that. Thank you, Kenny, for, for asking that uh, of Tony. Uh, Jay Shell Nicole from Inclusive Creations is up next. Jay Shell will be followed by Jim Barcelone from the Miami Herald. Jay Shell. Hi, Tony. I hope all is well. Um, I'm so excited for this show, especially with all of the amazing representation of people of color, specifically Black people on this card. Can you speak a little bit about how intentional this was, if at all? Uh, Well, I've been trying to push the best wrestlers and build the strongest roster, and something that I really wanted to do um, for many years was build uh, the best roster of diverse stars in wrestling. And it was something that I'm not sure uh, I dreamed the level of free agent stars that would come in that that helped make it possible on one side. The other side was homegrown stars. And you'll see this card has a, a, a really good mix of those. There are a lot of the homegrown stars that years ago we were developing in AEW and people would complain that, hey, AEW, uh, or, are you going to get a, a, a 
a lot of top diverse stars. And what I, my answer a lot, you know, two years ago about a lot of this stuff is please trust me. I want to, uh, build stars in AEW and also sign the best free agents. And a lot of the best free agents just hadn't become available yet. And if they, as soon as they did, I was ready to jump on those contracts. So internally, uh, and I would have named these people, you know, even a couple of years ago or, or last year for sure, um, that we're building up stars. You know, we have, uh, of course, Dante Martin wrestling in the ladder match, one of our really young wrestlers. Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks is a match that has been building really for almost two years. And uh, the two have really been connected even, even longer than that. But um, they were both in the Casino Battle Royale at All Out 2020. Uh, shortly after Will Hobbs joined Team Taz, and they went on a great run as a unit, uh, both as singles and as partners. Uh, they're two of the real homegrown stars of AEW, and that's a great example of people that you know a long time ago I saw that could that I really believe could be stars, and uh, that we've been building up as homegrown stars. Then you have the World Tag Team Championship match with again a great homegrown AEW act, the Acclaimed. Uh, who were two individuals who I thought had a lot of potential as singles wrestlers and had really brought into a meeting and they didn't know why they were in a meeting with me together. And uh, I asked them about becoming a tag team, the acclaimed. And I'd seen Max doing these awesome raps on Twitter about pro wrestling, mostly pro wrestling and pop culture. And I thought they were incredible. And I, I asked him, do you think you could do those every week as your entrance for the acclaimed? And we, we started experimenting with it in Daly's place almost two years ago. And it's become one of my favorite acts, one of my favorite things in pro wrestling. They, they're two of my favorite people. And I'm so happy the acclaimed have earned this opportunity on pay-per-view. Their opponents are two amazing wrestlers who I never would have dreamed a year ago could be in AEW so soon. Uh, they were released from their contracts. And I think any wrestling company in the world is very fortunate to have two stars like Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, the world tag team champions. And uh, that's a great example of the homegrown stars of AEW fighting these big free agents. I never would have dreamed would become available. So it's been a mix of the two things. I really believe where we were working for years to build up a, a diverse roster of stars. And then also big free agents came out there. And it, so it was a perfect mix. Uh, and it's led to this pay-per-view, which has, the best representation of any pay-per-view we've ever done. And I understand it's some of the best representation ever on any wrestling pay-per-view. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And also another great example of the homegrown star versus the big free agent, Jade Cargill versus Athena for the TDS title. Just like I was talking about with the world tag team championship. It's another great tag team championship match where you have the homegrown star of AEW. This time the homegrown star is the champion, not the challenger and taking on uh, a big free agent who's been on international TV and, and is known uh, to many people, even outside of AEW and comes in with a great reputation. So I think these matches across the card, uh, I'm really excited about also Jay lethal uh, is in that match. And you have six of the best wrestlers in the world. I think Wardlow is constantly growing and improving and a great way for Wardlow uh, to keep getting better as a great TNT champion for us is putting him in there with the very best. And Wardlow is going to be surrounded with five of the greatest veteran pro wrestlers on the planet with Dax, 
Cash, FTR, the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, the New Japan, IWGP, World, World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, and the AAA Lucha Libre Tag Team Champions. Uh, and, you know, of course, Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns, who we're really excited to have in AEW. So uh, all those matches uh, and all those wrestlers really excited about that. And Jay Lethal, a great veteran and uh, another great example of somebody that, I, you know, a couple years ago I wouldn't have expected to be in AEW, but but another great veteran presence with a great reputation as a wrestler. And so uh, all of that coming together, I think, has, has made this card much stronger and, and gotten me very excited for it. And so I think with a great mix, uh, to your question of, you know, something we've worked for years to, to build stars in AEW and also to sign the best free agents. And, and this card is a great uh, mix of those plans. Thank you, Jay Shell. Jim Barcelone from the Miami Herald, you are up next. Jim will be followed by Justin Schlegel from 98 Rock in Baltimore. James. Hey, thank you, Tony, Jim, and everybody. I was curious, because talking a lot about the injuries, and when you're putting now the storylines together, and maybe you have in the past, I don't know, but do you have a plan B now moving forward when you're putting these together? Or no, you just go with it and then just see what happens? Uh, I think in the back of your mind, you know, similar in sports where you have roster depth, in a way, when you build that roster depth, that is your backup plan. But it's not always that simple. A great, you know, Forbidden Door was more of a very quick, I need to take this plug out and switch it with this one and move, you know, rewiring things. Um, whereas building to all out, I was still able to get to the big matches I really wanted that I thought would be the amazing headline matches for this show. We had to find a different way to get there. So with Punk and Mox, we found, I think, a really exciting way that got a ton of buzz that these are two of the greatest talkers in wrestling, and they still talk their talk. You know, week one and week three, I guess we, if you want to call uh, week zero, the quake by the lake with the, the surprise Punk return, then for the following three weeks, I mean, week three and week one, they did some great talking. Week two, the action happened in the ring. I do think with the time we had, this was the most exciting way we could have presented it. And I do think people would have been really amped for the match had they just talked for three weeks instead of doing the match in the middle. But now there's way more buzz about the match. Uh, and nobody knows what's going to happen coming out of that. And I think that's awesome. And also it really helped the TV and the pay-per-view. So it was a unique way to approach it. But uh, I was able to still hit on stuff for this pay-per-view that I wanted to get to. I mean, you, it's hard to beat John Moxley versus CM Punk for the AEW World Championship and American Dragon Brian Danielson versus Lionheart Chris Jericho. So we got to where I wanted to get for this pay-per-view. For Forbidden Door, we really had to, we just weren't going to be able to do the matches because Punk and Danielson weren't going to be on the show. It wasn't like I was going to be able to rush to get to their matches. I had to completely change the build. And so that was a little bit of a different situation where it's not like, hey, um, we'll switch plans, consolidate some things, do some uh, different ways to jumpstart things in the middle. That was more like instead of tearing the card up like I did at Forbidden Door and build the best card I could with what was available. And if you only knew some of the stories that people don't know, 
leading up to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wild one that the way forbidden door came off. All, I'm really proud of everyone involved. It was one of the best days we've had. And, uh, you know, this, we, we were able to do the things I wanted to do. We just had to do them differently. Whereas for forbidden door, I basically rewired the whole card and said, okay, well, you know, cause I, I think I've admitted this before, but there were some big matches we didn't get to do. Um, you know, it was going to be punk and FTR against Osprey and Aussie open. And that's a dream match. I really believe. And, um, and I, and then I also had a great idea for a punk and Tanahashi tag match going in. I almost don't want to say what it is in case I ever do it later. And, uh, that would have been, I think one of the most anticipated matches of the year, if you knew who they were going to wrestle. And, uh, it all worked out really well and was a great pay-per-view, but it just was kind of a flash decision that Moxley versus Tanahashi was something we've been saving. So it was good to have a backup plan like that. Uh, even though I wasn't conscious, I'd be using it on the show and then moving Mox and Tanahashi stuff into what was already happening with Moxley and Jericho and everything around uh, the blood and guts that we were building to around the same time as Forbidden Door. So anyway, uh, you do try to have depth and that can lead you to backup plans. And then it's a question, do you change your plans entirely or do you just find a different way to get from point A to point C by get, taking a different route through point B? Thanks for asking. By the way, it's, it's a it's a good question about how things get done. Thank you, Jim. <clears throat> All right, as promised, I've got a question here, Tony, with, uh, I'm sorry, Justin Schlegel will be next from 98 Rock, Baltimore. And then we have a, a write-in from Joey Williamson from Hollywood's World of Sports. So Justin, you're up. Tony, another great all-out card looks like it's upon us. And the Forbidden Door philosophy is all over this with Motor City Machine Guns coming in from Impact, a legendary team. Tomohiro Ishii being added to the pre-show with Eddie Kingston from New Japan. It looks to be another incredible card. And with some of the recent corporate changes, over on the other channel other night with WWE, do you possibly think it's more likely, less likely, or the same for a Forbidden Door situation with them down the line now that it seems like their executive hierarchy is a lot different than it's been, well, since forever? Do you possibly envision maybe working with them with the changes over there, the way you work with Impact, New Japan, AAA, and others now? I was pretty optimistic when they first made the change, but I'm less optimistic now, given how they've treated me. Thank you. Justin, we appreciate that. Um, okay, as promised now, this time I've got the, uh, the write-in from uh, Joey Williamson from Hollywood's World of Sports. And Joey will be, uh, th this, this uh, write-in question will be followed by John Orchiola from Screen Rant. So John, be ready. Joey asks Tony, he's kind of curious, he knows that you have said in previous interviews that you would not do any unification bouts between AEW and Ring of Honor champions. And Claudio, uh, but if Claudio wins the, uh, the casino ladder match on Sunday, would you reconsider having both championships on the line? Well, uh, well, uh, it's a great question. If Claudio wins, he's under no obligation to put his championship on the line. And if Yuta wins, it would not be necessarily a pure rules match. So in that case, I would not probably sanction a unification match unless it was under pure rules. Um, so it's something to think about with these champions being involved in the match. But certainly one of uh, the, the intriguing points would be if Claudio does win, uh, he would be in line for a title shot. You know, we have 
great champions in Ring of Honor uh, who also are in line to fight for titles in AEW and vice versa. A lot of the top stars in AEW are able to go over and, and fight for titles in Ring of Honor. I do think it would be challenging for uh, an AEW champion and a Ring of Honor champion to, to meet the obligations on a week-in, week-out basis of both the titles because there's a lot you know, they'd be expected to defend those belts a lot against a lot of different wrestlers from both companies, potentially, especially hopefully when we get Ring of Honor going on a weekly basis, which is still something I'm working regularly to get to make happen. And uh, I, I think it would be very interesting if Claudio does win the ladder match. Certainly the Ring of Honor world champion would be in a great position to challenge for the AEW world championship. Fantastic. Thank you for answering that question, uh, Tony. So John Orchiola from Screen Rant is next. John, I hope I was pronouncing your last name appropriately. Um, forgive me if not. And then Samantha Shipman from Daily DDT will follow John. John, you're up. Hello. Hey. Hi, Tony. Hey, great hey. to speak to you. Hey, John. So um, I wanted to follow up. Oh, thank you. I wanted to follow up um, the question about the women's division and Thunder Rose's injury, which um, threw a wrench in the plans at All Out. Um, so as you said, four of the best wrestlers in AEW are wrestling for the interim title on Sunday. Are you looking at All Out as an opportunity to shake up and refresh the women's title and the women's division as a whole? Honestly, yes, I am. I think uh, it will be great to have four of the best wrestlers in that match. And I think it's a very fresh matchup. And I do think it's going to be uh, a really exciting match on the card. And I'm trying to look at it as a positive. And uh, whenever you have a, a great wrestler injured, it's a very negative situation, but you have to make the best of bad situations. Just as uh, it was very difficult to lose a lot of the top wrestlers, top stars, and even a great world champion like CM Punk, no matter who it is, uh, you have to try to uh, move on and make the best of a situation. So I am... Uh, Looking forward to hopefully having a great four-way match. And and then, you know, whenever Thunder Rosa, the champion, does return, it sets up a great unification match with the champion versus the interim champion to crown an undisputed women's world champion. So I do think it'll be an exciting match. And um, even though it's, it's terrible to lose Thunder Rosa, who's a great wrestler, it is great to have these three awesome contenders coming into the match we already had the number one contender tony storm and i have so much respect for jamie Hayter, uh, who had a great match with thunder rosa at battle of the belts and i think deserves another chance at the title and the number one contender tony storm and of course uh you know who's in line for the shot but also former champions hikaru shida and uh of course dr Britt baker should be great match thank you tony thank you john Samantha Shipman from the Daily DDT is next. I'm going to follow Samantha with a write-in from Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. Samantha. Hi, Tony. Thank you for the time today. Um, sticking with the conversation around Thunder Rosa and the match that was put together for Sunday, there's been a lot of criticism for the fact that Thunder Rosa was given time to talk about her injury in a video that fits on Twitter while CM Punk got eight minutes to talk about his injury. CM Punk, or the AEW interim world title was given a full tournament, including Tanahashi and Hiroki Goto. And then the women kind of had a match that it feels more or less thrown together. And so what do you say to the criticism 
of of that and why wasn't Thunder Rosa given more time um, and it, to make it feel like her championship is just important as important as the uh, world championship. Well, I strongly disagree with that. And I, I very strongly disagree with that. You know, I give the TV time based on uh, what I believe is going to draw the most ratings. And if you want my honest opinion on an eight minute Thunder Rosa promo versus an eight minute CM Punk promo, then you're going to get an honest answer. And I think the eight minute CM Punk promo is probably going to do a better rating. Now, as far as uh, match length, I think Thunder Rosa's had some great matches as champion. And uh, to come out and do a live eight-minute promo, I'm not sure that would have been good for the television show, to be honest with you. And especially given where we were at, that Thunder Rosa, I found out she was injured a few hours before a live television show. I don't really have time to put an eight-minute promo in uh, when I had just a couple hours' notice versus CM Punk. I knew days earlier that he was pretty badly hurt. And, uh, and we had already made a plan two days earlier for that. Furthermore, a lot of people, uh, criticized the way John got to his match with Tanahashi. So I guess you can't please everybody, no matter what you do. And I've actually seen more people excited about the four-way match, uh, with Sheeta versus Britt Baker versus Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm than they were for the original match. And I think it, the four-way is one of the more anticipated matches on the card, and I've seen people way more excited about that, honestly, than, than in some cases, the way we got through the casino uh, battle royal match. I think Kyle O'Reilly is one of the best wrestlers in the world. But, uh, you know, some people complained when, when I had Kyle get that opportunity. To be honest, John versus Kyle was one of my personal favorite TV matches. I have watched that match so many times. I loved all the details of it. I will literally now tell you about them. Uh, like, I will tell you, know, I can offline, I went online and talked about stuff in that match that was tremendous so I thought it was great but uh you know whether it was uh the grip out of the uh pile driver you know that John used the gotch pile driver and then Kyle managed to reverse it into a, a triangle choke that he passed into a leg submission so when John went back to work on Kyle after he escaped the submission he didn't use a gotch pile driver he used a conventional one so he wouldn't get caught in another triangle the little details of storytelling, like, I thought it was a great match, but a lot of people didn't think it was the right way to get to the interim, but I think it was tremendous. And now we've gone through a great summer with a great interim champion. So there were people criticizing that too. I've seen probably less people, although there may be some criticizing how we got to this, but you know, you can't, uh, you know, you can't necessarily please everybody, but I do think in this case, it's really been uh, very positive given the situation we're in, where you find out the champion is out a couple weeks before the pay-per-view and you have to, uh, scramble. So I actually had less time uh, in the case of uh, this to get the situation resolved than I did with John, where there were a few weeks before Forbidden Door uh, to build it up. And uh, there was, so like I said, there was more time before the TV show to prepare the promo. I think if you want my honest opinion, and look, that's just a fact, okay? Uh, as far as what's going to draw a rating with somebody talking for eight minutes. And, and then, uh, the build of the matches, like I'm super excited for Dr. Britt Baker versus Hikaru Shida versus Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm. And I think a lot of people are probably more excited for that than they were for how we got to the first interim title. So, um, but you know, you're definitely entitled to your opinion. Thank you. Thank you, Samantha. Here's the write-in from uh, Conrad Cushman, and, and we're going to follow Conrad with Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful. Here's first a question, Tony, from Conrad at, every, at Everything Pro Wrestling. What went into bringing back the show name Zero Hour 
for the all out pre-show versus using the name of the buy-in? Well, uh, it's a great question. The original pay-per-view uh, that the Young Bucks and Cody and a lot of great independent wrestlers put together at all in before I was involved when they worked at ring of honor was, uh, led up to the pay-per-view with a, uh, the zero hour. And I thought the zero hour was really cool. And I actually brought it back when I took over ring of honor because it was associated with ring of honor and all in. And, uh, it, it's a cool piece of IP we acquired, I thought. And in coming back to this building, I just think knowing the history of all out, the history of all in and, it just felt really cool. And especially this, we've had great matches on the buy-in in the past, but this feels stronger. Like with where the roster's at and the kind of matches we can do in this hour, I wanted to present something new, something fresh. And being back in this building, I wanted to get the energy of the zero hour back. I think the buy-in is great for double or nothing. And I, I think I might keep the buy-in as a pre-show for double or nothing. But in this case, I don't even see zero hour as a pre-show. It's his own event. And it's the first AEW event ever streamed on Instagram, which I think is really cool. And as always, it's available on AEW Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. And uh, and then uh, we have um, also, you know, just a, an awesome lineup of matches. I think with Pac defending the All Atlantic Championship against Kip Sabian, Hook versus Cool Hand Ange. Uh, I might announce one more thing tomorrow night on Rampage, and, and I'm really excited about what we've announced with Eddie Kingston versus Tomohiro Ishii Part 2, which is a rematch of a great match they had in New Japan earlier this year at Capital Collision, uh, with Ishii picking up a big win over Eddie, and Eddie looking for some revenge. So uh, I am fired up for this pay-per-view, and uh, also fired up for the Zero Hour, and I just think it's a great way to kick the show off and get people excited and, and hopefully uh, give people around the world a great free wrestling show. In addition to all the, the paid streaming wrestling that's on this weekend, I think it, you know anybody in the world should be able, if they have an internet connection, to watch Zero Hour and get one hour of great free pro wrestling, You know, even if you don't have the money to afford buying a pay-per-view. And I know there's going to be a lot of fans, I expect, you know, six figures worth of, uh, of homes buying this pay-per-view and, uh, you know, millions of dollars of pay-per-view revenue. But uh, you want to think of every fan. And that's why I think it's really cool to be off, able to offer at least a great hour of standalone pro wrestling to everybody. And, and then also for those people watching, try to get them, if they can afford it, and if they're able to, to do it, to buy the pay-per-view on Sunday night, which I think we built a great tradition over Labor Day weekend. And if you think back, you know, it, this is the fourth all out. And before all out, there was all in. And it started with the zero hour here in Hoffman Estates in the same arena. So I just thought it was a very cool way to build up that hour of matches. Thank you, Conrad. Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful is next. And we're going to follow Sean with Nick Hausman. We have 10 minutes. Sean, you're up. Hey, Tony. Uh, it was clear that Eddie Kingston and Sammy were, were set for this show, and obviously some things happened, and they were both very transparent about what happened, but it seems like those issues are rectified. Do you think there's an opportunity for us to see sort of a resolution to that feud that, that had started a while back? 
I'm not sure. I think it would be a great match. And at one point, you know, the challenge was out there, but uh, I'm not sure. I, I, it, it's uh, something to see. Obviously, uh, the two guys have not gotten along, and sometimes that lends itself very well to a pro wrestling match to see people settle their differences in the ring. I think that's what we all like to see. So I would certainly be up for it if it's something where they both wanted to sign the contract and get in the ring with each other. Um, but, you know, it takes, in this case, three to tango. And I'm, I'm there, but, but I'm only one of the three. Thank Thanks, you, Sean. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Nick Hausman from Wrestling Inc. is next, and Nick will be followed by Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone. Nick? Hello, Tony. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Hey, thank you. Thanks for take, thank you for talk, taking the time to talk to me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so uh, my question is, there was this reported uh, mandatory talent meeting backstage recently. I just want to know from your perspective uh, how you thought the meeting went and if you could give us any insight into why you held the meeting, what was trying to be accomplished uh, with that particular meeting. It's a great question. Uh, there was a meeting and we went over a lot of different things. Uh, you know, there were dozens of points that came up. I think it was just a lot of housekeeping, honestly, and we hadn't sat down together. And we used to do this on a pretty regular basis in Daly's place. And it's not something we had done in a while. And, uh, you know, a variety of things had come up and, and it's stuff that I think was good to stay behind closed doors. Some of it did stay behind closed doors, amazingly, but a lot of it came out. And some of the things I saw reported from the meeting were pretty accurate. Some of the things were wildly inaccurate. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, it definitely, uh, it, it, across the spectrum of reports, I saw some stuff that I was like, wow, that's like being a fly on the wall. Then I saw other stuff and I said, okay, that never happened. So, but it's probably, that's pretty much a day in wrestling journalism, to be honest with you. Um, not just that particular meeting. Uh, I thought it was good for us all to get together and talk about a number of things. Uh, there was one issue uh, that had come up that, people have seen uh stuff written about and uh i don't really want to get into it if somebody asked me i guess i would get into it a little bit more but uh there were some issues uh that talent had come to us about and said i think you should probably know about this and based on the talent coming to us and telling us that and and giving us their feedback and telling us stuff that had happened with them to them uh both in the company and things happening outside the company from other companies even and what the, based on what the talent was saying to us, we thought it was good to have a meeting with everybody. And I thought the meeting went really well. Certainly this week was really positive. Week of television, and I think really good energy going into the pay-per-view. And uh, everybody felt really strong about last night's show, and it was a good time at the arena. Um, and so I, I think it was a really positive meeting. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Tony. Uh, we are going. We're going to go with Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone, and we're and I'm going to um, end the show uh, with a write-in uh, from uh, Izzy Slavani. Um, so I'm going to end with a write-in, unusual, but uh, we're running out of time here. But Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone, you're next. Hey Tony, can you hear me? Yep. All right, cool. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, in looking at the all-out card, uh, I know you said that you know there's a lot of matches already confirmed. You might announce some more stuff, but I was curious how uh, 
how much of a decision or how important was it to ensure maybe uh, Ring of Honor was represented on the show? I know Claudio and Yuta are in the casino match, but uh, as of right now, there you know, unless you could speak otherwise, there's no uh, confirmed Ring of Honor events coming up. So was that a, a decision or was that on your mind when building out this card that you still want to make sure that Ring of Honor has a pay-per-view presence? Well, that is a big part of it. But to be honest, I want to do the best AEW show I can do this weekend for the, for the AEW fans. And that involves bringing the best wrestlers in the world. And in my opinion, in this case, a lot of the best wrestlers in the world are champions in Ring of Honor. And uh, Mercedes Martinez, the women's world champion of Ring of Honor, is actually out with an injury, but will be back soon. But a lot of the other Ring of Honor world champions uh, are represented on this card. And I, in particular, um, FTR, I think, are a credit to any wrestling event they're on, including this pay-per-view. I think that's going to be a great match with six great stars, six very different great wrestlers and one awesome trios match with some great champions on that team with TNT champ Wardlow and and FTR, who are the Ring of Honor World Tag Champs. And, of course, you mentioned Claudio, and we have Wheeler Yuta in that great casino ladder match. And I think if you're going to put a great field of wrestlers together and fighting for the top prize, in AEW, you're going to want to bring in the best wrestlers. And in this case, I do think Claudio and Yuta are two of the best, and they are also champions in Ring of Honor, in addition to being great members of the Blackpool Combat Club here in AEW. Thanks, man. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Tony. And as promised, we're going to finish here with a write-in from Izzy from the Hot Tag with Izzy. Uh, she wrote in, Tony, recently on Busted Open, you said that you left a lot of storylines open going into All Out. However, last night we saw some storylines sort of bridge the gap between now and Sunday, like John Moxley versus Sam Punk. So would you say that there is a storyline that's still open going into Sunday The fans really had to, should be keeping an eye on maybe uh, tomorrow night? Can you, Jim, can you, sorry, what, what's, can you give me that one more time, Jim, that radio? Sure. Yeah. So I just make sure I understand it. Well, recently on Busted Open, you said that you left a lot of storylines open going into All Out. But then last night, some of those storylines sort of bridged the gap. You know, we started yep. started coming together. But are there still some storylines that maybe we need to kind of keep an eye on that will sort of crystallize between now and Sunday night? I think the pay-per-view card has come together really well. I was I was referring to that we would get a world championship match signed and delivered for Sunday night. On Wednesday, of course, now we know that it will be the undisputed world champion, John Moxley, versus the former champion and the number one contender, CM Punk, in this great rematch at All Out. And in addition to that, we also sealed up this big trios match with the House of Black versus this dream trio nobody knew they wanted, but the fans last night certainly reacted huge when they saw Sting, Darby, and Miro together. And uh, that was awesome. So I think the House of Black versus Sting and Darby and Miro is another great match we added to the card. So the pay-per-view card is looking pretty strong. Uh, I potentially am open to adding stuff to either the pay-per-view or the zero hour. And I think if you watch Rampage tomorrow night, you may see a little bit more. But definitely your point, Jim, and the point of the write-in question, I guess the write-in question's point, um, that it certainly we, – so we certainly did bridge some of those gaps, I thought, and, and – tightened it up last night on dynamite and we'll get one step closer uh to all out the final 
stop on the road to All Out is, of course, tomorrow night. We have Rampage followed by the countdown to All Out on TNT. It's another reason to watch tomorrow night. We'll have some great wrestling on the show, including the Rampage uh, Trios Tournament Finals. But uh, the countdown shows, I think, feature some of the best promos and interviews in pro wrestling. And they're on TNT. And to the people who uh, say you got to put all these promos on TV, you know, you can't just put the good promos on the Internet. Like, why aren't they putting these on TV? Because you do see a lot of that. Well, the show's on TV. It's on TNT. And I would love for you to watch it, please. It's on after Rampage. And we would love, uh, love your viewership and love for you to check it out. Uh, and it, it will be a great preview for All Out, which I expect will be a great pay-per-view. And it's a really great tradition we built over Labor Day weekend now, and it, it's in large part due to all of you. And a lot of you on the call were people who went to the original All In, who uh, came to our original scrums, who were at the original Double or Nothing, and have, uh, I don't want to say supported the company because it's not necessarily your job, but in covering the company and in covering pro wrestling and you do support pro wrestling, which we are a part of. And whether you agree with everything we do or not, um, by, by spending your time covering pro wrestling and getting this info out there and, uh, the, the time and attention you show to sport and, and the wrestlers and the people who work in the business, um, you know, you make all this possible. So thank you very much to everybody in the call. And I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. Uh, I will really try to get to everybody who comes to the scrum, try to make sure they get to answer a question, either of me or one of the wrestlers while you're there, if you traveled all out. And if you didn't get to answer a question, and if you didn't, um, you don't, you know, you're not going to be at all out to ask a question. Uh, well, I really hope I get to answer one of your questions soon. And I'm sorry if I didn't get to it today, but thank you everyone. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tony. And, and, and just to echo, uh, we on our side here, we want to thank everyone for being a part of today's call. And as always, for your interest in coverage of wrestling, the industry, and AEW in particular, we really value what each of you bring to the industry. Uh, it's it's not overlooked. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. We hope you all have a great day. Look forward to seeing you uh, Sunday night, hopefully uh, at uh, at All Out. And then don't forget Rampage tomorrow night. So again, on behalf of everybody at All Elite Wrestling, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.